Romans 9, 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your glorious gospel. We thank you for your word, which shows us the truth. Grant us a knowledge of your will as we consider your glorious and gracious dealings with Israel of old. And may we see the greatness of the grace even greater than that granted to us who are both of Jews and Gentiles in one body united. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In review, last time at looking, looking at verse 4, <clears throat> we saw this reality of this ethnic group known as the Israelites, not merely the tribe of Judah or the Jews, but all the tribes at Christ's day being known as the Israelites. We saw the privilege that God gave them in their national adoption as a visible church and under the Old Testament. We also saw a similar privilege for believers in the New Testament in the visible church that it includes both them and their children as part of that church, as part of that visible adoption. We saw the duty to go beyond a mere visible adoption, but rather to have that everlasting internal and spiritual adoption through faith in Jesus Christ. We saw the duty of parents to capitalize upon and use the means of grace and their parental authority to promote this adoption going beyond mere external adoption to that which lasts forevermore. We also saw the duty to seek that God by prayer and the use of the means of grace would fulfill his gracious promises to us in his testament. We're still in verses 1 through 5, the apostles' sincere and divinely inspired sorrow for the Jewish nation. The privileges he's listing show the height from which they've fallen and therefore the gravity of his sorrow for them. Verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth, pertaineth the adoption and the glory. You'll remember that this word Israelite means the offspring of that holy patriarch, Israel. We looked at Leviticus 24. We saw that there was both the masculine word Israelite and the feminine, which was Israelitis. In other words, in English, it would be translated as such. There was a man who had a father who was Egyptian and his mother was an Israelitess. And he fought with an Israelite, a male Israelite. We saw in John 1, that Nathan was called an Israelite indeed in whom was no guile. We saw Acts 2, where the holy apostle Peter referred to the men of Israel as Israelites, men of Israel. We saw the same custom in Paul in chapter 13, verse 16, 
and even by the mob of Jews referring to themselves as Israelites in chapter 21, verse 28. We saw the, the apostle refer to the Israelites in chapter 11 of Romans, verse 1, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two, showing that this is a real ethnic group, an actual group of people descended from Abraham, descended from Isaac, descended from Jacob, and then from one of the 12 patriarchs. And then we saw the adoption as we reviewed previously. So now let's look at the glory. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory? Vincent in his word study says, the visible luminous appearance of the divine presence. Visible means you can see it with your eyes. Luminous means it gives off light. Casey could probably tell us a lot about lumens and electricity and how they relate. But the idea is it gives off light. The visible, luminous appearance of the divine presence was called by the Israelites the glory of Jehovah, or in rabbinical phrase, the Shekinah. The Shekinah. So here in God's word, Paul says one of the benefits or blessings of Israel after the flesh is that God showed them his glory. Please open to Exodus chapter 16. Now you'll recall in our reading in Revelation that the God angel came down clothed with a cloud. That was to remind them of the glory and the revelation they had received in the wilderness. Exodus 16 verse 10, page 78 of your pew Bibles. What is this glory the apostle is referring to? <clears throat> Verse 10. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. God heard the murmuring of the people, and he was going to demonstrate that he was there and he heard every word because God is present at all points. And so he demonstrated his presence by the glory. And how did they know his glory was there? Well, it tells us it was in the cloud. There was a cloud of glory that demonstrated visibly, luminously, the divine presence among them. Please turn over to Exodus 24. Page 88 of your pew Bibles. The glory that God gave to them. We'll read verses 15 through 18. Exodus 24, verse 15. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Notice there. God's glory is described in two ways. First, in terms of a cloud. Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. Now, 
A little lesson in Hebrew grammar. Notice there in verse 15. Where did Moses go in verse 15? In the mount. Now look at verse 16. Does it tell us which mount he went to? Yes, Mount Sinai. Now, what else does it tell us? Moses went up into the mount and a cloud. Okay, there's the cloud. Now look at verse 16. Does it tell us what this cloud is called? The glory of the Lord. The cloud is called the glory. Now notice also another parallel. The cloud covered the mount. Is there a parallel in verse 16? Yes, there is. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. Now this is extremely important. When you read the Old Testament, if you would like to know, well, what are the shades of meaning of a word? Here's one way to do it. What is the thing that it's talking about? Well, a mount, Mount Sinai, that's parallel. They're talking about the same thing. The glory of the Lord and the cloud are talking about the same thing. The, uh, it talks about covering and abiding upon. Those are the same thing. So you see the parallels here. He's showing us by parallel structure, what exactly is he talking about? The glory of the Lord is a cloud. But notice, what else was the glory of the Lord like? Verse 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Well, which is it? Fire or clouds? The answer? Yes, both. That's why in the description of Vincent, he says the visible luminous appearance. Fire gives off light. Was it a cloud? Yes. Was it a fire? Yes. In fact, when God led them in the pillar, what was it? Cloud, fire, both, whether night or day. So here they see this cloud on Mount Sinai. This is the glory cloud. This is the glory that appeared when they were murmuring and Aaron was speaking to them and they looked toward the wilderness and there they see the glory of God in a cloud. This is a distinct privilege to see what you might call a theophany, God appearing in some physical likeness. Please turn over to chapter 29 of Exodus, page 95 of your pew Bibles. Exodus 29, we'll read verses 42 and 43. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by what? His glory. God's going to show up with the weightiness and glory and riches of his presence. That's what that word means, chabod. It can mean heaviness, like something is weighty. It can mean when you measure out gold and silver, it's rich, it's heavy, it's weighed down. It's not light and frothy. It doesn't go upwards as Isaiah says we do. God's going to appear in solemnity, in glory, and he's going to do it symbolically by a cloud and by the Ark of the Testament. God says that this tabernacle they are building 
where they would offer these offerings, where God would reveal himself to them by oracles, would be sanctified by his glory. Please turn over to Exodus 40, page 109. What a privilege the people of Israel had. Exodus 40, starting at verse 33. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What do you notice there? God is symbolizing something. God is demonstrating something and it's just this. That he will reveal his glory to the people in this place. Did they always have the cloud there? No, it appeared and eventually it left. Did they always have the glory there? Yes, they did. Because this symbol that God demonstrated to them was meant to draw them in to the greatness and the solemnity of what? What was he telling them on Mount Sinai? Look how glorious these statutes are that I'm giving you, these 10 commandments. You ought to consider them as glorious, as weighty. Everything else is light and frothy and goes upwards. This law is a fiery law, a glorious law. Now what else? Now my worship, my house. Moses finishes doing all that needed to be done to prepare for the worship of God. Exodus is done. And what does God do? Here's my glory. There's my word. There are the means of grace. Here you come to worship and to sacrifice and to praise and give thanks. This is my glory, he says. It both sat on top of the tabernacle, and where, where else was it? Just sit on top? Filled the hole inside. Moses was not even able to go in that was so thick. The glory of God filled the tabernacle and covered over the top of the tabernacle. Please open to 1 Samuel chapter 4, page 309 of your pew Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's been a few weeks since we read this together. We'll read verses 20 through 22. Now you'll recall the wickedness of Phinehas, the son of Eli. And there were judgments that came upon his household because of his wickedness. Verse 20. And about the time of her death, that is Phinehas' wife, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel 
where the ark of God is taken. Now there's our word, kabod, means weightiness, glory, heaviness, wealth, riches. Where was the wealth of Israel? Where was the glory of Israel? She says it was in that box, that glorious box, that little ark with the handles on the side and those two cherubims facing in toward what? The seat of mercy, where the blood of the lamb was sprinkled, where underneath was a fiery law delivered by God, written with his finger, the pot of manna, the rod that blossomed, the copy of the law given in Deuteronomy. There you had it all, right there in that box. Where is it now? Where is the weightiness of God's law? Where is the glory of his worship? Gone, she says. E, it's gone, it's out, it's departed. Chabod, the glory. Ichabod, the glory has departed from Israel. No more worship, no more law, no more presence of the living God. That was the glory that God gave to them. Please turn over to 1 Kings much parallel to the end of Exodus and the completion of the tabernacle is the completion of the temple under Solomon. Page 386, starting at verse 6. And it's significant that here, the first Samuel usage of glory and the Exodus 40 usage of glory are married together. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord into his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without. And there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark <coughs> save the two tables of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Do you see there? The ark of God's testament, the place of his worship, the oracle where his word was preached to them, the Ten Commandments inside, you see that? that God put at Horeb inside of that box when they came forth out of the land of Egypt. All these glorious things, the glory of God revealed in his law, in his worship, in the worship symbolically offered by angels as in the heavenly tabernacle. The glory of God, the cloud of his glory filled the house. Please open to Psalm 26. Page 602. Psalm 26, verses 6 through 8. Notice David's longing for the glory of God in his worship. Verse 6, I will wash 
mine hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine, what? Honor, it's the same word, glory, kabod. The place where thine glory dwelleth. David did not want to be with sinners and wicked men. He wanted to be in the presence of God himself. And where was that? Well, it's a place that had an altar, and it's a place that had the glory. The altar of God, the voice of thanksgiving, the singing of God's praise, the telling of God's wondrous works through the preaching of his word, the habitation of God's house, the place where God's glory dwelleth. What is that? Well, it's God demonstrating himself in his means of grace. That's the glory of which David speaks. Please turn to Psalm 63. Now, one thing to note concerning the apostles' list in Romans chapter 9 is that these things are not airtight categories. This can't touch this. No, they're overlapping categories to show you the fullness of the blessings that God gave them. And we'll see that in more detail as we look at the other terms and privileges. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3. This is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Notice, what's he talking about? He wants to see, he says, the power and the glory of God. Where is he right now? He's in the wilderness of Judah. Nowhere near the tabernacle. Nowhere near the worship of Almighty God. And he longs, he says, to be there worshiping where? In the holy place, the sanctuary as they called it. So as I have seen thee, I have in time past gone into that holy place. I've heard the voice of your law. I've seen the sacrifices offered, the incense go up. Lord, I have seen the glory of God. I have seen the power of God. I've heard the words of God. Lord, I want to sing your praise again in your house and see your glory and power yet again. This glory that God blessed Israel with, in addition to their adoption as a visible church, God gave them visible marks of his presence in his worship and by supernatural appearance. David Dixon says, the presence of the glory of God in the ark and other representations. This is the glory of God. There stands the ark. Here came the cloud. There sat the fire, the glory of God himself. There was his fiery law inside of that ark, the glory of God. John Brown of Wamfrey says, They had the preeminence and excellency beyond all other nations, as having the tabernacle of the Lord pitched among them, 
in which respect he is said to walk among them. I note then this doctrine. It is a singular excellence, a benefit of benefits, to have God's ordinances among us. It is a singular excellence, a benefit of benefits, to have God's ordinances among us. Now God gave them symbolic manifestations of his presence. Cloud, fire, the ark, the law, the Ten Commandments, all these things. He gave them symbolic manifestations of his presence. We call them theophanies. There was the presence of God in the ark. David calls it the oracle we saw in Psalm 26. There were uh, cherubim facing in toward the mercy seat, reminding them of the gospel, the good news, that there is forgiveness of sins through the sprinkling of blood, that the broken and fiery law is covered in the blood of the sacrifice. All these demonstrated the glory of God to them. This stands as a rebuke as the apostle considers this a great benefit God gave to Israel, to men who will slight the means of grace. God considers his word, his oracle, his worship, the singing of his praise, the giving of thanks. He considers that glorious. What do men consider it? Do they consider it to be, a, well, maybe I'll go to that. It's all right. But you know the thing that's really weighty is I got to watch my football game, or I got to watch my soap operas, or I got to get on Facebook, or I got to make my money, or I got to do my sports, or I got to read my books. Well, God says, here's something weighty. Here's something glorious. Here's something so glorious that you should long after it as if you were dry and parched ground in a thirsty land. This is a rebuke of considering the glorious God and his means of grace as, well, it's okay. No big deal. And when I go, I don't really need to be ready for this. I mean, it's just, you know, I just show up. It's fine. Do we prepare to meet in the house of God, the place where his honor dwells casually? Let us then in exhortation let us prize this singular privilege. Do we have smoke? Do we have fire? No, we have something much greater than these external symbols. The apostle tells us that there were all these glorious things in the ministration of death. Why was that? Did the people believe in the promise that God made? Did they yield hearty obedience to the commandments of God? No, it was a dead letter. It was written in tables of stone. What did God say he would do? That his glory would come down and be poured out upon his people. You know, that's what it means when it says Jesus would baptize his disciples with fire. Not merely with water, as John says I do. He would baptize you with the glorious God who revealed his law on Mount Sinai. That flaming fire. And what would he do? Write that law upon the inner man, upon the core of your being. And these ordinances that Christ has instituted, what is the point of those ordinances? To nourish 
that new man, to build up in holiness and truth, to be a conduit by which his grace and the Spirit of God would be poured out upon the people. Let us prize this singular privilege. Let us improve upon the means of grace. Let us pray, God, reveal your word to me, your glory to me, both in the word and sacraments, and in communing with you in prayer, and in the singing of your praise. God, show me your glory. Stay focused on the glory of God. Yes, we have infirmities. Yes, we have troubles. Yes, there are little ones. Yes, there are pains. Yes, there are sorrows. But let us, with all of our might, so far as human infirmity will allow, focus our attention on God's worship. Let us train ourselves. Let us train our minds to think on these things, to delight in these things. And also let us train our little ones. Do we want them to profit from the means of grace? Train them along with us to listen to the word of God, that this is a weighty matter, that this is serious business, and that God reveals his glory to us here in these means of grace. And thus far the exposition of the glory of God, the privilege of God's people, both the Israelites and us, the Israel of God. Let's pray.